What's up and welcome. My name is Drew and you're joining the DCC podcast as we jump into episode three of The Quest. Today's episode focuses on investing and saving. Investing is a term that can be challenging. So for today's episode, we want to debunk some of the myths that come with investing. We'd like to define some key terms to help give you a better understanding of how investing can be one of the key drivers into helping us on our quest to financial freedom. Today, we're going to be looking at investing. I got a joke for you guys, an investing joke. What's the difference between a pigeon and a stockbroker? The pigeon can still make a deposit on a BMW. <laughs> I know, that's cheesy, that's cheesy. That's cheesy. Well, uh, my name is Danny. Um, as you know, Dusty here tonight. We're talking about investing. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to just kind of remind you guys that, you know, while we are to put our hope and trust in God, we're also to plan ahead and plan with savings and investing and diversifying our holdings. And hopefully today, as Dusty goes through this presentation, which is really like demystifying investing, you get a little bit more knowledge about what investing is. Maybe you already know about investing and it just affirms some of the things you know, and maybe it's your first time to just get started. The Bible tells us that it's wise. There's many verses that tells us about wise. Proverbs has a lot of them. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And that's why God gave us a church and gave us the body, because we're not to do it alone. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity, and so too when it comes to our money. There's no Lone Ranger. You got to find experts in the field to help you invest what God has entrusted to you. I did give Dusty budget money to be able to buy more cakes and more stuff to give for you guys to eat. And he... We got to increase the budget, right? Okay. Somebody said up front, everything gets smaller every week. So <laughs> it's intentional. We're cutting some of those wants out. Well, good evening, everybody. Again, for those of you I don't yet know, my name's Dusty Hosteller. I'm a certified financial planner, limited partner with Edward Jones. I do want to point out that Jared is in the room, so, so there's a lot of overlap in planning, tax, uh, financial planning, investments, estate. Jared, uh, if you don't know Jared, he runs an accounting firm uh, in town, and, and so for folks who may need an accounting or tax as a resource, so we're on chapter three, what's in your wagon, but you think about what's in your wagon, of course, in reference to setting out for the Great Oregon Trail. And if you're about my age, which is like late 30s, you probably remember playing Oregon Trail in like elementary school. So, so Sam talking about packing 140 pounds of bacon and, you know, what were the other things Sam had said from Sunday? But it, it, anybody play Oregon Trail? Was that not reminiscent when you heard like that story of packing bacon and you cross the river and your, your ox dies and all the different things? So what we're really talking about with all of this, uh, and I think summed up well by Ben Franklin, we've, I'm sure, all seen that quote, but by failing to prepare, you are failing, or you, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And of course, we started with a budget and debt, and now we're going to talk about saving and investing. There we go. So I, I wanted to mention this from last week. I was thinking about it as I, I kind of wrap up and summarize in my own mind and my notes what we talked about. Sam had asked a question like, hey, what if you're at a store last week, if you were here, and, and there's a great sale on shoes? 
and you need to buy shoes, what do you do? And I said, hey, you should flee like David. I don't know if anybody caught that. Nobody seemed to catch it. Everyone went wrong with it. Like, uh, that, that was great. But what I, the story I was thinking of on the way up was, was Joseph and Potiphar's wives. So, so if you think about it, of course, that was in relation to a different type of sin and temptation. But I still think there's a lot of wisdom in there. And how do you manage impulse? Uh, sometimes you just have to flee. Maybe literally, physically, but you know, sometimes it's, hey, just get up and walk away from, from the screen, the social media, the, the Kohl's website, whatever it might be. So if you'd like to read more, uh, Genesis 39, and again, it's Joseph, not David. Want to, oh. which one goes back? Is that going back? There we go. Okay. I know we've went over this. I'm sure by the end of uh, the fourth session, everybody will have this definition down. But, but remember, there is no, and the, this chapter talks about, there's no easy way to do this. I think even the, the chapter talks about like get-rich-quick schemes. There's a whole paragraph dedicated to that. So what is a quest? A, a quest, and I, I've kind of personalized this. We've talked about a long or arduous search. Now I've made it your long or arduous search for something considered to be important or valuable to you. And again, if you further define arduous, involving or requiring strenuous effort, uh, difficult and tiring. So uh, this isn't easy. And I'd love to say, hey, I've got the solution. If you do this, you're going to have a million dollars in five years. I don't. Or 10 years. Or 15 years even. So we'll walk through some of that. But I think to start, and Danny had summarized some of this, all of this builds upon itself. So if you don't have a budget, you really can't manage debt. And if you don't have a budget and are managing debt, you probably can't build savings. And if you don't have a budget, you can't manage debt, you're probably not going to have savings and you probably shouldn't invest. So everybody likes to jump to investing because it's fun, it's interesting, you do it on your phone, you like Apple stock, you've got a Robinhood app. But really, you've got to get this in order. It's like the order of operations, you know, mathematically. Um, so, we've talked about it, but we, week one was budget spending plan. So, I'll ask again, show of hands, how many folks have at least talked about this, if not started to create or revisit a current budget spending plan? 70, 80%, which is great. So that's the cake. Remember, the cake, when you think about your budget, it's how big is your cake and how do you want to carve up your cake? And I was talking with a client yesterday. Uh, we started with the size of the cake. Cake was $7,900 they had to work with. So they had pretty good net income. That's what, remember, hits the bank account. And she was saying, well, we're looking at buying a mortgage and housing is very expensive, or building a home, new construction, I should say. And the mortgage was going to be almost $4,000 a month all in. It was a 30-year mortgage. Now, rates way up, we know. So, so just a year ago, that would have been five or $600 cheaper. But you start to think about that. Do you really want to dedicate for the next 30 years half of your cake to housing? It's a good asset. We talked about good assets, good debt last week. But if you dedicate half of your cake starting every month for 30 years to housing, that doesn't leave much cake for other stuff. So that's the budget spending plan. Of course, we also last week talked about slaying the dragon. And, and th I think the big piece of this is it's more psychological than actual knowing what to do. 
it's discipline, and I would say all of these sessions are, are discipline, hard work. We talked about the marshmallow test. And I'm real curious, for those of you who maybe a spouse wasn't here or you have kids, did anybody try it at home? Nobody? So we're going to have to do some homework. Uh, if you've got kids or grandkids, we want to see how successful they're going to be in a couple of decades. Uh, then now what we'll talk about today, and we'll start with savings. There's not a whole lot to really say about savings. It's pretty simple and straightforward, uh, but we'll start there. And then, of course, once you have those three in order, we can talk investing. And there's a lot of great wisdom in the book. So if, if you haven't read the chapter, I would encourage you that they do just kind of quick tidbits, one paragraph of don't do this, do this, don't do this. I'm going to try not to repeat what's already in the book, because you've already read it, or many of you have already read it. Uh, but, but this is, of course, what I do all day, every day. So, so there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. My goal is to get through this session, allow plenty of time for questions, because this is usually in the next session, the final session, which will be on legacy and gifting. That's where the most questions come up. So we want to talk about investments, but again, you've got to start this in order. You've got to have a budget. You've got to have a plan to tackle debt. Once you do that, you can start to save. The nice thing about savings goals, which we'll talk about, is they can kind of come and go. Excuse me. Once you build an emergency fund, you don't have to build it again unless you use it or dip into it. So it might be a savings goal for three to five years or however long it takes to build it. But of course, once you have it in place and it, it fits your budget, you're in good shape until you dip in it, and then you've got to refill it. So, so that kind of comes and goes. But I thought a good starting point might be defining and looking at the differences between the two. Because I often find that folks will use these interchangeably. You know, they think saving and investing are kind of the same thing. And I can understand why that, that you know, if you're not in finance, if, if you're not actively interested in this stuff, you would just assume they're, they're the same thing. But I think there's some key differences. And again, Sam highlighted some of this on Sunday. So when you think about saving, uh, we're keeping, and I love the squirreling away. Think about saving and the squirrel. And, and I think one of the interesting self-reflection questions might be, is a squirrel doing more squirreling away than we are? And if you look every winter, every fall, I mean, we've got squirrels all over our property. And it seems like all day they're planting nuts everywhere, preparing for winter. So we want to keep and store up uh, especially money, generally it's cash, for a future use. It's generally a shorter term time frame in the sense that with savings, we don't know, especially emergency fund that I'm referencing, when we'll need it. So you're thinking about your time frame might be tonight. You go home and your water broke and your basement's flooded, you might need the savings right now tonight but it could be 10 years from now or 20 years from now. So, so we don't necessarily know the time frame, so we want to keep it short-term uh, in its tool selection. Uh, tool selection, so, so what is an appropriate place to keep savings in? And it, it can be, of course, a combination of all of these things, but generally it should be in a guaranteed place, I would say like FDIC insured. Folks familiar with FDIC insurance? So the bank will insure up to 250,000 per depositor uh, so that if the bank collapses or goes away, the federal government will step in and guarantee deposits. So if you're a married couple, a joint account, you get a half million dollars of coverage. If you're an individual, you get 250000 Now, those are big numbers. Few folks, you know, go above that. 
but that's usually where you'd branch out and go to another bank uh, at that point. So you would want the savings to be in a guaranteed place like a savings account, a money market, a CD, a checking account. You know, savings account's the most common place you would put savings, right? Uh, shares the name. Uh, there's not, at least my savings, there's not much difference between what my savings account pays and what my checking account pays today. Now, I did hear uh, somebody earlier today tell me Richwood Bank, not to endorse any specific bank, but they have a money market account, FDIC insured at 1%. That sounded pretty good relative to, to what I've seen lately. But the key with this, it should be in a guaranteed place. And again, when you think about guaranteed, what that means is the only way that you're going to wake up and that account have less is if you spend it, you've used it. It's not taking market risk. Uh, and I don't know if anybody caught this headline a couple of weeks back, because there, there can be many savings goals, the most important and popular that everyone needs, an emergency fund. But the Wall Street Journal had run a headline a few weeks back that because the market is down, a lot of folks are losing their down payments on their homes. Does anybody see a problem with that? Yeah, so it starts to think, well, if, if you have a goal of buying a home and you've saved up a down payment for a home, so it's a short-term goal, why would you ever invest that money? So you've got to match up your goal and your time frame with your tool. And then you look at investing, and I'll just read this because I actually like this definition. So to commit money with the expectation, notice there's no guarantee the expectation of achieving a profit or material result by putting it into something. Of course, most commonly it would be like stocks or bonds or mutual funds, land a business, etc. Expectation. So there's no guarantee here of the outcome. And because of that, this needs to be longer term. You know, some folks will say you need at least three years to invest of a time frame before you use that pot of money or might need it. I would say five would be even better because I feel very confident telling folks if you give the market good investments five years, you'll be in pretty good shape. You give them three years, most of the time, you're going to be in good shape. You give them 10 months, six months, who, who knows where the market will be in six months or 10 months. Uh, and then I, I hit that piece already, that final bullet point, it's a non-guaranteed outcome. So you invest, and in, in, of course, you can do planning and projections and assumptions, but you have no idea what that value will be in 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. So you generally want to be conservative with your assumptions. Uh, I think Dave Ramsey has a lot of great wisdom. One area that he drives me nuts on, you read his books, he'll, he'll, assume, or he'll say to assume a 12% rate of return on your investments. I would say hope for 12, don't plan for 12. You know, if you get 12, great, but plan for about half of that is what I would say. So save, saving further defined, and actually I'm going to read this quote, which I don't know if everybody can see here towards the bottom. Um, but again, it's habit. It's, it's just like going to the gym and working out. It's not going to be easy. It's something you're going to have to build a discipline and a habit. Uh, and this was an individual, he, he lived late uh, 1800s into early 1900s. So he said, the habit of saving is itself an education. It fosters every virtue, teaches self-denial, which is kind of what we talked about the marshmallow test, self-denial. 
uh, cultivates the sense of order, trains to forethought, so it forces you to think about the future. So if you think about, if you're worried, and, and a couple of days ago I was talking with a client about polluting the ocean, and a lot of the pollution in the ocean, they've recently moved to Florida, it doesn't happen in the United States, it happens in developing countries. Why? Well, if you're hungry today and you're worried about where your food comes from today, you don't care what the ocean looks like in 20 years. And some folks might say, well, you, you, you know, that's no good or I don't like that, but, but that's coming from a privileged position and we don't worry about where we're going to get food or clean water tonight. So I love that because saving forces you to think about your future. And I mentioned this in our first session, so many of us live life like we're not going to be here next week, let alone 10 years from now. You know, some folks in the room, we've got to think 50 years from now, 60 years from now. So it forces us to save about the future or forethought, and so it broadens the mind. Again, it's going to sharpen the mind. So much of this is right up here. So you might have many different goals for saving, uh, but everybody should have an emergency fund. And I'll quickly go through this because we've talked about it. Uh, so emergency fund, a cash reserve specifically set aside for unplanned expenses or financial emergencies. And Sam talked about this. The book talked about this but your tires naturally depreciating is really not an emergency. And there's definitely some gray area here, but if you know tires have a, who's a car person? How many years do it? Five years on tires, 40,000 miles? What's a good number for tires, Brian? Okay. Okay, so 40 to 80,000. So each of us drive different amounts, but five years. So you really know in year six, you're going to have to, at best case, replace them. So I, I, I know most of us aren't there today, but I would encourage you to really think about that. Is, is that really an emergency or just something we treat as an emergency? You know, we know the natural depreciation cycle of that. You go home and your house is flooded, that might be an emergency. Yeah, that was unexpected. So, so what are characteristics of the emergency fund? Again, we've already talked about should be in a guaranteed account. Generally FDIC insured, which is the federal insurance. Um, untouchable. You know, so I put the, if you've ever seen this movie, I like this movie, but talk about the untouchables. Uh, untouchable unless a true emergency. So, hey, we want to go on a vacation is not a reason to get into your emergency fund. Hey, we want to do this or buy this once are not a reason to dip into the emergency fund. And it's self-discipline, right? Because nobody, you know, it's up to you. Nobody's going to be your gatekeeper. I won't be outside of PNC Bank and I'll say, oh, I see you coming into the bank. Let me know what you're, you're getting access to your money for. It's up to you and, and if you're married, your spouse to do this together, to have that discipline and develop that discipline. We've already talked about this, three to six months of living expenses. You know, some folks through the pandemic have even said go nine months, 12 months. So I would say there's a number that's too low, there's probably a number that's too high, but there's no perfect number. And if you had 60 months of, of, of monies, of operating expenses in the bank, that's probably too much because there's opportunity cost, which I may talk about here in a bit. But if you had you know, one month, that's probably too little, so three to six months is a good rule of thumb. Liquid, it sounds like a complicated finance word. You know, I know when I say liquidity, I try to never say it with clients because their eyes kind of glaze over like, what in the world does that mean? Uh, it just means it's easy to access. So if you have money in checking and savings and the bank is open, 
you should be able to go down and get your hands on that money. Whereas imagine you have a piece of real estate in Montana. How liquid is that? How quickly could you get your hands on a piece of real estate, turn it into cash? A couple of weeks, best case, right? So, so liquidity is just how quickly, and of course with an emergency, as our purpose, we want to be able to get money like that, you know, or as quick as possible. So we want it easy to access. And then the final piece, which most of you I'm sure know this already, you, you should pay little to nothing to have these accounts. And I would say basically nothing today because most banks will charge you nothing for savings or checking as long as you do X, Y, Z. You know, so, so PNC, I think, with the, the savings we have, as long as you keep $500 in the account, there's no fee to it. So, so you shouldn't pay some type of fee to hold and maintain a savings account. Now, another way, which we've kind of beat around this the last couple of weeks, you can think about this savings or emergency fund is time. And that, to me, is the beauty of money because money, you know, to a certain level will not, I mean, you get above that, will not buy you any happiness. Study after study has shown that. But what money can do uh, is it can, and savings can, buy you time. So if you think about, uh, we'll look at that first example. If you've got, if you need $5,000 a month and you've got 20000 in the bank, that far top left example, you have a four-month financial cushion. You have four months of time in the bank. How many of us, if we were being honest, may not have one month of time put up in the bank? And no one has to raise their hand unless they'd, they'd want to for that piece. So let's get to investing, which again is usually where we get most of the questions. You probably, if you haven't picked up already, I love quotes. I, I think you know one of the easiest ways to become successful is just copy other successful people. So if you don't know Charlie Munger, anybody know Charlie Munger by chance? I'd be very impressed. It's Warren Buffett's counterpart. So everybody knows Warren Buffett. Few people know Charlie Munger, but they started Berkshire Hathaway together. They're both extremely wealthy. Uh, this is Warren Buffett's counterpart. So. I'll start over there on the right-hand side. With investing, waiting helps you as an investor, and a lot of people just can't stand to wait. And again, some reflection. How many of us would fall in that camp? We can't wait for the second marshmallow to come into the room or cookie or whatever. Uh, if you didn't get the deferred gratification gene, and, and I don't think they've actually identified a specific gene, but obviously he, he's kind of referencing here uh, you've got to work very hard to overcome that. And all deferred gratification is the simplest way. That it's the marshmallow game that we did last week. And if you weren't here last week, I know a couple of the folks, uh, the, the whole idea behind the marshmallow test, I'm going to give you a marshmallow or whatever your favorite sweet is and set it on the table. Uh, and they did this decades ago with children. Uh, so I, I learned about it years ago in a psychology class. But the researcher would leave the room, come back anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes later, and they would tell the participant, the child generally, that if you waited until uh, the researcher came back, they would give you a second marshmallow if you haven't eaten or licked or touched the marshmallow. And it was really indicative, uh, at least the study found, of, of folks' success, and there's been some conflict with other studies since then. But that's what delayed gratification is. 
And then uh, Benjamin Graham, he's one of the fathers of modern investing. So there's a ton of books. If you type his name into to Google, then you'll get a ton of, of just very simple investing wisdom. The best way to measure your investing success is not by whether you're beating the market, but whether you've put a, in place a financial plan and the behavioral discipline that are likely to get you where you want to go. So we're talking about goals. And if we were to go around this room with the mic and ask each individual, each couple, what are your goals 20 years from now, 15 years from now, 30 years from now, we would probably hear a lot of similarities, but every single one would be unique. So you've got to think about why you're doing this. And I think it's so important because the, the why, which I'll show on the next slide, the why is ultimately going to drive the how. The, the why you're doing this will keep you in it when you want to go buy the Super Bowl TV that we had talked about last week. You know, the, the why will, will keep you going when you want to go buy the luxury car that you might not need. And just a quick example, again, a client a few weeks back where she was definitely behind the eight ball with saving. She was early 40s and, and nowhere near where she should be, especially given her income. She's CFO of a local company. And she, you know, I always start, what are your goals? What are you trying to do with your money? And, and well, we want to buy this big house in Powell. You know, our goal is to, it lives here in De Delaware, actually right across the street here. But the goal is we want to, to buy our forever home in Powell. And we started to walk through what that, that looked like. And it's like, well, it's the trade-off because we all have limited, again, our cake is only so big. Are we willing to, to you, if we go the house route for going to Powell, here's what retirement looks like. Are you okay with that? And what's been interesting, I've gotten to know her the last three or four months now, is she slowly walked away from that POW property once she fully understand what it would cost. And nothing wrong with owning a piece of real estate. Again, that's a good use of debt. But what she finally learned, the trade-off of what it would take and cost her, she's decided that it, it, it was nice, but it wasn't as important as a good, sound retirement. So again, there's no right or wrong to this. I'm not here to tell you, oh, hey, here should be your goal. You should want to retire at 50. Some folks in the room probably would, would love to, if you're not yet 50, retire at 50 or 55. Some of you probably love what you do and you want to work to 75 or 80. So, and I'm sure, and I see some smirks and some, some smiles. Maybe we don't have any of those in, in the crowd tonight. But, but I share that because this has to be specific to you and your family. Of, of why you're going to do this. So if you think about uh, investing, it should always be around goals. And Brian called this life goals, if you were here last week. But I'll say medium to long-term life goals, they kind of all fit in the same camp. So what are the most common goals folks are saving towards? Of course, retirement would be one, and that's either hey, getting there or staying there comfortably. So if you imagine once you get there, it's, it's not the end of the race. You know, it's almost the midway point because you might live 20 or 30 years in retirement. Uh, other goals that, that folks will think about, and of course this is not all-encompassing, but if, if you have kids or grandkids, helping them save for education. And I think at our first session I had talked about with our two girls, uh, five years before our oldest was born, we were saving for education. And I say that not to, to, to brag, but, but simply that was important to me and my wife because we had to pay for school, and we saw how hard it was. And again, nothing wrong with what we had to do. It probably taught us a lot, but that was important to us, and so we prioritized that and ate DiGiorno, you know, as we've talked about. 
Um, buying a home. You know, so I'm sure many folks in here that are renting, a goal of yours would be one day owning a home. I would say you would only want to invest and save towards that down payment, or, or a, not to mingle, say I'm mingling the words already. Uh, you would only want to buy a home and, and invest that down payment if you had five or more years. So if you're planning on buying a home in 12 months, don't invest, don't go out and buy Apple stock and hope it works out. Because it might work out, right? There's a chance. But I think it's always worth asking the, the other side of, of what if it doesn't work out. And then lastly, of course, another just sample goal would be if you wanted to purchase a business. See how I'm doing on time. We're doing pretty good. So I thought I'd just define some terms because I think finance can be intimidating, and it shouldn't be. Because I think a lot of times folks will hear these words and kind of it's an immediate turn off. You kind of shut off your brain because you think, well, that's not for me or it's too complicated or too hard. So uh, maybe we can kind of work through these together, but uh, maybe use the mic. A stock. Everybody has heard of a stock, right? Would anybody be brave enough to give us a quick, simple, easy definition of a stock? Share of a business. It's that easy. So, so everyone heard it in the back. Share of a business. Uh, stock represents ownership of a business. So you're an owner of that business. Uh, so if you buy Apple stock, I keep referencing Apple for, for whatever reason, but if you buy Apple stock, you're an owner of Apple as a company. And you have, most of the time, you get voting shares. So you can vote on actions the company takes. A lot of times, your mutual funds will do that on your behalf. Uh, which is called a proxy vote. But think about all the, the good things about business ownership, which is that's what a stock is. Again, ownership of companies. Now, I will say, for most of us, how much Apple, uh, what percentage ownership are we going to have? You know, we, we get like Tim Cook's desk or something. You know, who, Tim Cook's the CEO uh, of the company. But we're still an owner. So what are all the benefits of owning things, good assets? And just, we can shout them out. Go up in value, is that what you said? Yeah, they have value, and hopefully they go up in value. So if you think about some of, of the most successful people in the United States are small business owners. Make money, right? We all like to, to do that. Uh, so, so good quality companies, you, you buy them, you hang on to them, it tends to be a recipe for success, for growing your number. Now, I always think it's good to look at both sides. What are the trade-offs with stocks? Yeah, and, and I'm sure, and based off the economy was the comment in the back, if you own stocks or stock-based mutual funds this year, you're probably like, man, do I really want to own stocks? Because things are down in value. So, so the key is, again, time frame has to match your tool selection, but stocks ownership of a company, good news, long-term growth, the bad news, the trade-off, short-term fluctuation. But you're owning. So bonds, again, show of hands if you've heard of a bond. Probably everybody in a room, right? Uh, so I'll use an example, Delaware City Schools. They want to build a new school. What do they typically do? Do a bond issue, right? Um, so, of course, we go vote on it at the ballot, and if the levy passes, they'll, they'll issue bonds. So with bonds, you're acting like a bank. So with stocks, you're owning an investment, a company, and you get all the benefits of ownership. 
uh, with bonds, you're lending money. And there are, not to get too in the weeds here today, I'm happy to do it, but, but trying to get through as much as we can. There are many ways you can own bonds. So you can own individual bonds, you can own package of bonds, and I'll talk about a little bit of that. But a bonds with Delaware City Schools, in our example, we're lending our money to Delaware City Schools. They're going to pay us an interest rate, a fixed defined interest rate for a period of time, a fixed term, at which point the bond matures, we get our money back, that's the end of the deal. So bonds were acting like a bank, stocks were acting like an owner or a business owner. And for most people, you should probably own some of each. The younger you are, you should probably have more stock-based investments for very long-term goals because you have more time. And generally, as you age and you start to tap on the brakes, uh, you should probably own more safe. But, but it's usually this spectrum of, of you never own all of one or all of the other. It's a combination. It's a percentage of each. Mutual funds. Again, if you're familiar with mutual fund, is there a question? Yes. Actually, I'm glad you asked that because just today, a client, we were talking about their 80% bonds in their portfolio, and he's starting to second, you know, again, if you own bonds, you know what I'm talking about this year. Bonds have, have been beaten up real bad. So bonds, and, and I would explain it this way, bonds relative to stocks. So if you compare them to stocks, they're more conservative than stocks. They're not a replacement for cash. So relative to cash, bonds are, are more aggressive, but bonds relative to stocks, they tend to be more conservative. So like this year, or last year, bonds were down in value, good quality investment grade bonds, and again, there's all different types of bonds, international junk bonds, good quality investment grade. Uh, this year, they're down north of 10% in value. So, so if, you know, let's go back to our example, you're wanting to put a down payment on a home, if you'd put that in bonds, because you say, well, it's safer than stocks, it's safe, you know, I'll earn a little bit of interest more than the bank, your down payment's worth 10% less as of today. So, so they're uh, definitely risk, they're not a replacement for cash, they're not cash, they're not cash equivalents, but relative to stocks, they tend to be safer. So stocks are down roughly 20 to 30%, most major stocks this year, bonds are down 10, to give you kind of a gauge. Of course, cash would be down Zero in theory, but then you got to think about inflation. And I missed the back part, lending money to a business and... Correct, yeah, you're, you're lending to some institution. It could be a business, a government. Uh, correct, yeah, yeah, so you're lending to Indonesia sovereign debt, like government bonds, would be more risky than lending to the United States. And risk is always tied to return, just, you know, maybe a good principle that I didn't put in here. So if you're going to take more risk, you better be more compensated for it. So, so you think about your, your savings account, checking account, how much risk is that? Basically none. Again, I, I won't get into the complexities of inflation and, you know, the, the opportunity cost, but, but it's a no-risk account. Um, what about if you go down to Hollywood Casino and you put $100,000 on black on a roulette table? How much risk is that? <laughs> yeah, 50%, you're real happy. 50%, uh, you're real sad at that point in time. So, so you expect to be compensated the more risk you take. 
and that would be the case where stocks, you would expect is more risk. Over time, you should get more return. Bonds, it's more risk than cash, but less risk than stocks. So it's still more risk. You should get more return than cash, but less than stocks uh, over time. Yeah, great question. So that's not inflation adjusted. That's actual the face value of the, the bonds. And in fact, the long bond, which is the 30-year treasury, so treasury is kind of the benchmark for the interest rate market or U.S. treasuries, which is considered like the safe haven asset across the, the, the three-month uh, treasury. But the 30-year U.S. treasury is down like 27% year over year. And again, not to get too in the weeds, but if you're interested, think about a seesaw in bonds. One side of the seesaw is interest rates. This might be more than some of you want, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Uh, one, one side's interest rates on our seesaw, this side's bond value. So what have interest rates, so bond value over here, interest rates over here. What have interest rates done in the last six months? What happens to our seesaw? Bond value prices go down. So, so again, a good rule of thumb, uh, rates up 1%, bonds down 10 is your rule of thumb of, of par value, of face value. And I would encourage folks, if you own bond funds, check them out, because if, if you didn't know they were down in value, they are uh, on the year. Um, mutual funds, and again, I'm going to speed up through, through some of these terms, but mutual funds have been around roughly 100 years. I'm going to say it was like the teens and early 1915 or something like that. But if you think about stocks and bonds, a uh, few folks, one, it's more active to own a couple of companies. Now, not to get too into the nuance, there's potential more return. But a lot of folks don't want, you know, I get it. Most of you in the room probably don't care to watch Bloomberg every morning. You don't care to read up on financial markets. So you probably want something more like a mutual fund. Or, again, I'll mention an exchange-traded fund, which I didn't put up here. But instead of owning one stock, so instead of putting, in the book talks about don't put all your eggs in one basket, which I'll talk about in a moment. But instead of owning just Apple, a mutual fund is just a basket of stuff. So all a mutual fund is, it, it's an objective, it has a defined objective, and there's a team of people that are mandated to follow that objective, and they put stuff inside that pot. So when you think about a mutual fund, again, I know it can be an intimidating word, we've, I'm sure, all heard it. Instead of owning just Apple, you're going to own Apple, McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, AT&T, Costco, Verizon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to diversify. Um, go ahead. Yeah, 401ks, uh, in general, you can only invest in mutual funds or company stock. So, so company stock, if, if your company offers it, if they do have uh, company stock. But in general, 401ks are going to be solely uh, mutual fund based. Which I think for 99% of people, that's exactly what you should do. You know, we have some folks who like to play in the market. It's okay to have a little play money, but for your serious long-term retirement money, I would say diversify, own some good quality mutual funds, index funds. Uh, we can talk offline for, for some of the folks who have 401ks. Get a target date fund. Again, that's not up here, but a target date retirement fund because it's set it and forget it. You say, I want to retire in this year. You're delegating to some professional to manage it appropriately for somebody retiring in that year. So mutual funds, again, just diversified baskets. There are bond mutual funds. There are stock mutual funds. 
and there are bond and stock mutual funds. So each mutual fund will have an objective, and that objective sets the guardrails for the fund. Retirement plans, and, and I guess I'm going to tie two of these together. So when you think about saving or, again, I'm doing it again, investing, think about three different types of money. Uh, it's technically four, but most of us are going to know uh, three. So one would be pre-tax or tax-deferred money. So if you have a traditional IRA, a traditional 401k, a traditional 457, 403b, simple IRA, SEP IRA, those are all types of employer retirement plans or traditional IRAs, a personal retirement plan. IRA, by the way, acronym, Individual Retirement Account. So just trying to throw as much uh, education out. Uh, Tax-deferred or, or pre-tax retirement plans, what that means is you're not going to pay the tax today, you're going to pay the tax at some point in the future when you take distributions at retirement age. So with those types of plans, what you're, and they're long-term plans because they're meant for retirement, which could be age 55 or 59 and a half, depending on the plan. Uh, they're long-term plans, but what you're effectively saying is, hey, I think I'm better off to not pay taxes today and pay them in the future. So tax deferred, I know, can sound complex. Just break the word down. Tax deferred, we're not going to pay tax today. We're going to pay tax at some point in the future when we take distributions. So effectively, what your bet is there is you're betting on being in a better tax situation when you go to retire. Not just individually, but the tricky thing is what's going on in the world. Because, you know, we can take care of individual stuff to some extent, but we can't control Washington in tax law, and again, I won't get into the debt and the deficit and all that good stuff, but I'm happy to talk offline. So we've got a tax deferred. The other, everyone heard of a Roth? Okay, so, so Roths have become really, really popular. There's Roth IRAs, there's Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs. So any of these plans or almost any, you can t attach the word Roth to it. Your company has to offer it, so, so your company might offer a 401k that's traditional, pre-tax, but they might not offer a Roth option. But what a Roth is, is take what I said about pre-tax and flip it exactly on its head. So Roth, you're choosing to pay your tax today, or we call that after-tax money, which again sounds complex. After-tax money is money in your bank account. So every dollar you have in your bank account is after tax because you've already paid your income tax on it. Uh, you put the money into the account, and if you're doing it through a 401k, it would kind of be routed through the pay stub, so it technically wouldn't hit the bank account, but it's still after tax. So you're going to go ahead and pay your tax today, but when you pull it at retirement, if it's a qualifying distribution, there's always asterisks in our uh, world, but I'll tag Jared in to talk about qualified uh, Roth distributions. In general, if you, you hold it to 55 or 59 and a half, everything that you've accumulated, not just what you've put in there, but all of your earnings come out tax-free. So for the younger folks in the room, and I would define younger like 50 and Roths are attractive, I think, at any age, but especially as you're younger because you have more time to grow it, compound it. Where, you know, if you're... I'm going to say probably 65 or older in the room. When you started working, a Roth did not exist. So one of the things that we see all the time is that for folks that are 60, even 55 years of age and older that are retiring or thinking about retiring or already retired, 
uh, almost all of their money is tax deferred, tax down the road, or when they pull it. Why? When they started working, Ross didn't exist. There was after tax, which is technically a, a version of that, uh, but it, it was all tax deferred, pay your tax down the road. And not to get too in the weeds, but that was a pretty good promise in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, because tax rates were, and some of you might you know, gasp when I say this, but if you look at federal income taxes today, they're near the lowest levels ever. Does anyone believe that when I say that? How many folks are going to fact check that? Jared knows. It's a, he's my accountant. He can back me up here. Go back and look at tax rates like 1950s, 1960s. Your top bracket was 90%. Your bottom bracket was, I think, 20 or 22%. Today, the bottom bracket is 10, and the top is, what, 37, 38? Okay. So tax rates 50, 60 years ago were double. So it was a really good promise, I think, in the 70s, 80s, 90s to say, you know what, don't pay taxes today, pay them when you're retired, because tax rates were falling. I'm not so sure, and again, I can't predict the future, but I think for most folks in this room, if you start to think about when you go to retire, with what we know about the state of the budget and the debt and the deficit, and again, maybe at some point we'll do a session on like economics, uh, do we really think tax rates are going to be any cheaper? in the future. And even something as simple as like there's a current uh, tax package that was passed under Trump at sunsets in 25, right? Tax rates will go up in a couple of years if Washington does nothing. And of course, they may act before that. So Roth, you pay your tax today, but you're done with paying taxes. And it provides some certainty. But if you were putting, and I'm going to do very rough math here, 5% of your compensation into a pre-tax account before tax, uh, and then if you said, well, hey, I like the idea of a Roth, let's put 5% into a Roth. So you kept your percentage the same, your take-home pay will be less as a result of that. And the reason is because under the pre-tax, maybe you were putting in $100 before tax, but by the time that would have worked its way through federal tax and state tax and local tax, all the different taxes we pay, maybe it would have only hit your bank account of $75. Yeah, well, and I'm just giving an example of... of yeah, so the tax, what happens with the Roth is if you look at your pay stub, you're going to have gross, you're going to pay, you know, federal tax, state tax, Medicare, Social Security, you're still going to pay all that stuff. And then what they'll do is they'll do an after-tax distribution. So after all that's come out, so your $100 is now 75 now you take the 75 and throw it in the plan because it's after tax for the Roth. So if you're putting the same percentage, and that's the key, if it's the same percentage in pre-tax or Roth, you're going to feel it more from the Roth side because they're already taking tax. So you're still saving 5%, but they're already taking tax. And this, I, I well, maybe afterwards, I'll, I'll do an illustration on some pay, because I know it can be complex, but it probably only applies to a handful of, of folks. Jared, go ahead.
Right. Yeah, it, it potentially taxable. I would say for most folks that end up doing well, you're going to pay some amount of tax. You know, there are some lower income exceptions, certainly to, to that rule. But that's where I think building a good team, because everything will be case by case that, that we talk about. Um, and for sake of time, again, I, we'll come back and I'll, I'll sit with you uh, after the meeting. So employer match. And again, I just want to touch on this briefly because the, the number of times where I will see somebody who has a retirement plan through work that offers free money and they're not at least contributing to get their free money, it, it kind of baffles me and blows my mind. So an employer match, think free money. Free money. Free money is always good. Make sure uh, if you're actively working that, that you're checking, check tonight, check tomorrow, maybe you already know that, that you're actively taking advantage of any free money, the employer. Because if you think about free money, and there's a lot of ways a match can work. It could be 2% dollar for dollar. I saw one today. It was 5% uh, but 50 cents on the dollar. It can sound complex. I'm happy to talk with anybody about your match. Make sure you're getting every free dollar because if you think about free dollar, you put a dollar in, they give you a dollar. What's the rate of return of that? Does anybody want to do the calculation? Is 100% rate of return good or bad in a year or in a day? It's really, really good. Um, did I see someone had a hand? No? Okay. So we talked about tax deferred or potentially tax deferred, as, as Jared talked about, tax free. Uh, the other type of money is a taxable account. So you, you might have heard like a single or individual or a joint or a brokerage or a tax. It, they all mean the exact same thing. Uh, but this is not a retirement account or I think I even put up their non-qualified account. Uh, it's not a retirement account. So with a retirement account, you're getting tax benefits, whether Roth or pre-tax or, or whatever version, 457, you're getting tax benefits, but retirement accounts are very long-term. You know, they're meant for retirement. Uh, this is a type of account where you can invest, and, and I think one way you can think about it, it's almost like a checking or savings account that allows for investments. So does anybody remember when you used to get like a 1099 tax form from your bank, from your checking savings, the days of that? And that hadn't happened for what, 15 years? Did you ever wonder why, that maybe they forgot about you? It's because rates have been so low that, that if the bank doesn't generate, I want to say $10 or more of interest income, they're not required to send you a tax form. So your bank account is technically checking savings are taxable accounts, but what we just haven't thought of that way in a long time because we don't generate much interest. So this offers you a place. This is not a place for an emergency fund. You know, again, you don't want to invest your emergency fund. You don't want to invest short-term goals. But let's say uh, maybe you're 35 years of age and you have a goal in 10 years to buy a rental property. Where would you want to put that money? What type of account? Well, you probably wouldn't want to put it in a retirement account because you potentially have penalties and tax to get it because you're 45 when you want to spend that money. You probably wouldn't want to keep it in the bank because you're going to earn basically zero. So a brokerage account or, again, non-qualified taxable joint, they all mean the same thing, would be a good tool because this account you get no tax benefits. So the reason it's called a taxable account is every year you're going to get a 1099 tax form. You're going to pay tax not to get too in the weeds, it's a more favorable tax than an income tax. It's capital gain interest dividends. Um, 
But what you're gaining in exchange for, for no tax shelter is the ability to invest money and grow it, but, but you're gaining the accessibility. So it's not tied up for 10 years or 15 or 20 like a retirement account. Go ahead. So money market is a tool, not a type. I mean, some banks will call it an account. Money market is a form of a taxable account. Money market's taxable. I mean, there is tax-free money market, not to get too in the weeds. But this would just be, when, show of hands, anybody have like a, a, what you might call a stock account? That might be another name, like a Robinhood account or an E-Trade account or a Charles. Those are all forms of taxable accounts. So it's not a retirement. It's just a bucket. Think of it as just a bucket no tax benefits to it. You can put investments in it. There's no limit how much you can put in it. But if it earns money, you pay tax that year on the earnings. Whereas with a retirement account, do you ever pay tax on your retirement account if you leave it in there? You shouldn't. So one of the uh, big benefits of retirement accounts, it's uh, either tax-deferred or tax-free. You're not paying tax along the way. And that's powerful. And again, for sake of time today, I won't fully unpack that. Final piece I'll just hit on, uh, we probably all have heard of this, a 529, so if you have kids or grandkids, this is one option, one way to save, the way that, that I have personally chosen for our girls uh, to save for college. You get tax benefits, you get tax-free distributions. The trade-off, and again, I talk a lot about trade-off, is this is kind of earmarked in the vein of education. So it's a, a great way to save for the vein of education. It's not a good way to save for helping our daughter buy a home in 25 years. There's other options for that, but education is pretty loosely defined. Everybody thinks education, we think a four-year bachelor degree, right? Four-year, two-year trade school, tech school, doesn't have to be a school in Ohio, any of the 50 states, many international schools accept this. Could be a trades program, you could go be a welder, as long as it's a certified program, even certain high school expenditures can now be paid for out of a 529 plan. So it gives you a way you can invest money, you get tax benefits, and if you use it for a qualified distribution, uh, it's tax-free distributions, just like a Roth. And again, I'll hang around at the Q&A time. So, great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's always the first question when you talk to somebody about 529s. Well, what if they get the full ride to Harvard? Um, so a couple of things you can do. One is, of course, you can leave it there. You can just leave it there and accumulate it because you can always change the beneficiary. So maybe it's not for a child. It could be for a grandchild one day. Uh, you could make it for a niece or nephew. Now, that, it's pretty rare that you will see that happen. That's a pretty nice uncle or aunt if you're doing that. Um, so that's always one option. You can just change the beneficiary. So if you have multiple children, that solves the problem. If you have one child, you start to think, well, grandkids one day or niece or nephew. Um, you can make the beneficiary yourself, of course. So, so you can be an owner and a beneficiary of a 529, the same account, and go back for schooling yourself if you might need it or training, a, a certification. If, if you can't use it for any of those things and you don't want to hang on to it, when you distribute it, you're going to pay both tax and penalty, potentially, on it. So, so basically, the government's going to, I think the simplest way to think about this without getting too in the weeds, they're going to unwind a lot of the tax benefits they gave you along the way because you didn't end up using it for education. I would say that everybody worries about it. In practice, it almost never happens. Because one, I think if you're checking in on your plan, 
uh, and we had this a kind of ours in, in Florida, where they were saving, accumulating. Daughter's 15, 16 now. We know tentatively where she's going to go, how much it's going to cost. We ran the projection. They were going to have too much. He, he was a good saver. Put back. We stopped contributing at that point in time. So, so it, remember, planning is always evolving and changing. So keep an eye to where you don't want to end up with 100,000 left in a 529 or 25,000 left in a 529. A lot of this I, I've talked about, and I want to leave plenty of time for Q&A. So a couple of, of just principles, and again, we've talked about this. The book does a great job, and I'm not going to duplicate uh, some of the book's principles, the paragraphs of finding the right professional. I think, you know, and of course, I might be biased sitting up here finding the right professional, but, but there are a lot of great resources out there. The, the author of the book is a certified financial planner. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm a big believer, but I encourage folks, go out, and, and you can find why that matters for our industry. Um, so why diversify? You know, a lot of these are obvious. So you look at the, the left-hand side with the dollar sign, risks of liquidity and solvency. I'm sure folks, 2007, 8, 9, remember uh, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, Washington Mutual. So if you're owning just a single investment or a couple single investments, you always run the risk that they're doing something behind the scenes you don't know about and you lose everything. And one of the reasons a lot of the accounting rules have changed uh, when we get to Enron, there in the middle, risks of accounting irregularities, corporate fraud. So they were cooking the books. You know, in effect, they were saying, hey, we're doing this well, when in reality, they weren't doing well at all. And they've changed a lot of how our industry works because, unfortunately, it was like 90% of people, when Enron went belly up, 90% of employees had all of their retirement in Enron company stock. So if you think about the impact to, to those folks, and now you're not allowed to, to have that uh, high a concentration in company stock because of, of things like this. And then, of course, the right-hand side is businesses today may not be great businesses in 20 years, in 30 years. And, and I would say with technology, everything is moving even more rapid and more quickly than it was 10 years ago and 50 years ago. America Online, Blockbuster. I'm sure everybody's heard the story. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix in the early days, very cheap. They turned down because they thought that was not where the industry, the model was going. And, you know, we all know the end of that story. Uh, Yahoo, you know, I mean, all the different companies of, of yesteryear that are no longer relevant. Again, some, some quick pieces, just trying to, to make sure we have some time for Q&A, some other uh, things. So I think if you're in accumulation phase, and not everybody in the room, some folks are in kind of preservation, just looking around, protection, distribution. But, but if you're solely in accumulation phase, so you're trying to grow your pie, your, your nest egg, some things to think about. You know, one, and, and of course we've kind of hinted around this a lot, but pay yourself first. How many of us with our pie, you know, we're, we're giving a slice over here to Netflix and a slice to HBO and a slice to Disneyland. And by the time we get through all those things, we've got crumbs for ourselves. That's all investing is. You're putting a little bit back for yourself first. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, one of the reasons automating investing works so well is you tend to not think about it. So many of you who have 401k plans, if I were to ask you and say, well, how much do you have now, given that the market's down 20, 30%, Almost all of you, my guess, would say, I don't know, I don't really look at it. That's good, because it, usually if you look at it too often, you have a tendency to do the wrong thing. And then uh, lastly, time in the market. This is long-term 
with investing. Now, I know some folks here, you know, we're all different ages. So, so the point of this is not to say, hey, you need to do this for 40 years. Because you know, we can't go back, of course, and say, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda. What we can, of course, impact and affect is what we decide to do today. But this talks about an individual. Uh, this is actual market returns. They make $35,000 and they put 10% of their pay away for 40 years. And you can see that top line. And, and the beauty of one of the reasons I love finance is so much of it's algebra and math. So folks can say, I don't believe it. Okay, punch the future value calculator. You know, you can always verify it. It's black and white with math. But this person, again, 35000 a salary. They put 10% away in a 401k. This is in an S&P 500 index fund is what we're looking at here. Uh, they did that for 40 years, and that 10% a year that they would put away every paycheck turned into $1.8 million after 40 years. So, again, I know some folks say, well, I don't have 40 years. I've got 10 or 5. It's better to start today than not at all. Uh, again, I'm going to be real quick here. So focus on what you can control. I, I know we all love to talk politics today. And that's a conversation, you, you know, that, that might be appropriate and, and needed. But when it comes to investing, you know, I think it's so important to focus on what we can control. We can't control, other than, you know, if you want to be technical, you can vote, right? You can't control who's in the White House and what they're doing. And in four years, you might not like this person, you might like this person, but in four years, you, you might flip-flop and love or hate the, the person. And, and that might matter for a lot of reasons, but when it comes to investing and thinking long-term, we've got to focus on what we can control. And of course, we can control how much we save, invest, and spend. Uh, we can control if we have an emergency fund or not. So again, a little bit of, of reflection that I like to ask folks. COVID hit. You know, government, for most people, did a bailout. Wrote everybody a nice little check or a couple of checks. How many of us wouldn't have been able to pay our bills if we didn't get that help from Uncle Sam? And that, that worked the last crisis. What about the next crisis? Will Uncle Sam be able to do that again for us? So we can control that. We can control our level of debt, the debt dragon. Do we decide to slay it? We talked about this, but what we can't control, you can't control the stock market, certainly in the short term. You can't control what's going on in Washington or Columbus with tax law. Uh, and of course, you can't control you know, every investment. You're going to take some amount of risk. Even cash has risks. Compounding. Again, Sam hit on it, so I'll be quick. It's also in the book. Kind of back to timing. You know, so it, I don't think there's any excuse for anybody to not get started, uh, regardless of age. I, I love this quote because the best time to plant a year or, or plant a tree was 20 years ago. I'm sure many of you have seen this. Uh, the second best time is now. So it's about getting started. But but I'm going to ask one quick question. Some of you might have seen this. So if I gave you the choice, you get five million dollars today or you get a penny every day for the next 31 days, and we're going to double that penny. So that's your choice today. Five million today, you walk away with a nice, neat check. I'm going to give you one cent today, and tomorrow I'll double it to two cents. The next day I'll double it to four cents, and then eight cents, and I'll do that for 31 days. How many folks are taking the five million? A couple of folks are like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Sam's out of here in the back. Um, 
You get a guarantee, I'll be here, I'll pay you. And of course, it wouldn't be a real good story, right, if the five million was where you wanted to be. But when you take a look at this, and I know this is hard to see, beauty of this, it's math, it's algebra, you can run it. Uh, Five million today, if you take a penny and double it every day for 31 days, you end up with, it's 10 million, actually, I should be looking back here, $10.7 million. So don't discount the power of, of compounding. I'm going to come back to that here in a few moments. Quick rule principle, again, I think just good to know as you think about investments, rate of return, where to allocate your cake, uh, the rule of 72. So the rule of 72, if you take 72, divide it by your expected rate of return, that is the number of years it takes to double your money. So it's just a good principle rule to have as you think about deploying and allocating capital. I'm going to work off the 6% column, and I'll be quick with it. 6%, you make a $10,000 investment, that first middle column towards the top. Well, if we take 6% divided by 72, anybody have the answer for me? 12, right? So that's where we double our 10,000 to 20,000. Everybody see this and how to work it? So 72 divided by your rate of return or expected rate of return uh, that's how long it takes to double the money. I'm going to use 7% to make the math easy. If we can earn 7% a year, 72 divided by 7 is 10, right? Uh, your money would double every 10 years if you earn 7% a year. So $10 becomes 20, $20 becomes 40, 10,000 becomes 20,000, 100,000. Beauty of it, it's just math, and that's one of the reasons I love it. Any questions on that? Because I see some, some potentially confused looks. Does that make sense, rule of 72? We're good? Uh, last piece I'm going to share and kind of tying this all back together. Some of you might have been wondering what is on your table. Does anybody know what that is? I know it's a seed, right? Uh, does anyone know what type of seed? It, I should have, like, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> It's actually not Chinese bamboo. I have no idea where you buy them. You, I'm, you know, I would have had to fly to Shanghai or something to get bamboo. This is giant bamboo. And I love this story, again, because I think stories and illustrations are so, so powerful. And this is something, uh, I had seen a version of this video years ago. I couldn't find the original video I saw. But, but I think it's so, so powerful. You know, it's something we have right in nature to look to, to inspire us. Because this is hard, it takes discipline, it takes patience. This isn't something that by fall you're going to have all your house in order. This is going to have to be, if you want to go on this path, on this quest, years, decades, multiple decades for many of us in here. And I love this illustration in nature because, again, for me, it's something I've often thought about as I built my own business. You're going to work hard for a week and a month and a year, and you're going to look and say, I'm making no progress. Will you give up? You know, will we quit fertilizing? This Chinese bamboo, every day, if you read about it, you have to fertilize it every day and water it every day for five years. So you start to think, like, who was the farmer that initially figured this out? They kept going out with trust of, well, you know, I hope for five years. And then 90 feet 
So it's building its root structure. And, and, you know, you could tie compounding this, but I think so much of what we'll talk about, so much of the process is you'll do it for a year and think it doesn't work. And we've got to keep doing it. And then you'll do it for another year and say, hey, this still isn't working. You know, beauty of math, and, and if you really look at the compounding, is it takes a couple of years to really start to see significant results. But are we just like the bamboo, the Chinese bamboo? And again, I tried to find the seed just because I thought it would be neat to see these things in action. But, but are we willing to go out every day and water and fertilize and, and you know, stick to the habits and create the habits and, and uh, just tweak and develop this plan and do that over multiple years to see that sprout? So we'll wrap up here, and then we'll go to some Q&A with some reflection. Again, I took some of this from the book. Um, so if you had to rate yourself, and again, we won't do this out loud, but, but if you want to just kind of in your own mind think about how would you rate yourself as a saver? So remember, savings, money in the bank. Uh, does money burn a hole in your pocket? My dad used to always, I'm one of four boys, he'd sing this song like, money is burning a hole in your pocket every time that we would go to spend money. So, so I had to chuckle when I saw this. But, you know, do we get a little bit of money? The first thing we think about is what can we buy? Have you started saving and investing yet? Or have you been telling yourself that you're still young and you have plenty of time? And, and I didn't get to this, and, and just to hit a very key point, the earlier you start, the better, the easier it is. So, so you know, none of us can go back in time, right? So we can start where we are, but for those of us that have kids... And we'll talk about this in the legacy and the gifting in two weeks. We encourage them to get started. Our grandkids encourage them to get started because it's math, and that's the beauty of it. The number one important ingredient when you look at a future value calculator is time. It's the end value.